Welcome to another edition of Canton Bound, the NFL half of our campus, the Canton podcast here. As always, I'm Colin. And as always, no Austin again here, still on suspension. But uh, we actually have some NFL news here. So he probably would have just poo-pooed most of it anyway and not want to talk about it. So uh, I'm actually excited to talk about some, some real NFL news here. We'll do a combine review as well. But uh, before we get into that, I just want to mention again, the freshman and supplemental guide dropped last week over at the website. If you're in a campus, the Canton league, if you're in a CFF dynasty league, if you're just into recruiting. This is some must have material. There is over 180 players that are written up in there. 180 is about your standard 12 team, 15 round supplemental draft. And this has a full write up on their strengths the weaknesses, situations that they're going to be entering, the athleticism scores and an athletic comparison. It's got some depth chart information, tiered positional rankings, and so much more. This is the most comprehensive freshman and recruiting guide you're going to find out there. Uh, you know, 24-7 on three, they do great. They go in depth on all of these different positions. They don't have nearly as many write-ups. They also include offensive line and stuff that we don't necessarily care about that much for fantasy purposes. So, this is a one-of-a-kind out there. Definitely go order that uh, while you can. Enjoy that. We've been getting a lot of positive feedback on it. Um, if you're a NIL yearly member, uh, you'll also get an email with that, um, that that should have had some information with that. If you're a scholarship yearly grandfather tier member, you'll also get an email. If you didn't get that, definitely reach out. Let me know, and we'll get you hooked up. Um, but this podcast is part of the Fantasy Points Media Group along with a ton of other great pods. You can follow all of them on Twitter at Fantasy Points Live or check out the Friday Drops that recap the week in the Fantasy Points media group. And if you're looking for additional NFL or CFF content, uh, Fantasy Points is a great resource for that. So head on over there and check them out. But into some NFL news. First time we've had some real NFL news in a while. Uh, it's all centered around franchise tags and new deals. Uh, so naturally, we have to start with Lamar Jackson. That's the biggest news going on out there. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, already know what's going on with that. But just a quick breakdown. The Ravens gave him the exclusive rights free uh, franchise tag. So it's a $32 million cap hit for him next year if he is still on the Ravens and does not sign a long-term deal. He's free to negotiate with other teams. Baltimore can match. Baltimore doesn't match, they get a first-round pick in the next two years. So it'll be this year and next year's if it's before the draft. The interesting thing here is Baltimore's kind of playing chicken with Lamar. Uh, they reportedly have not been able to kind of come to terms over like guaranteed money. Well, Lamar Jackson wants a lot more guaranteed money than what Baltimore is willing to give him. And Baltimore's basically saying... Go see if you can find it out there. If you can find it out there, maybe we'll match it. I, I don't think Baltimore can really afford to let him go. So I think if they do get somebody who uh, it makes an offer to him, I think they will ultimately match it, assuming that the team doesn't put like a poison pill in there that front loads the contract so heavily that the Ravens can't really afford to match it. But the other interesting part of this is we've already had a number of teams come out and say that they are not going to uh, try to sign Lamar. Atlanta, New England, Carolina, Washington, Miami, they've all said they're out. So this is 
not a common thing when a quarterback is, is tagged. You don't often hear that teams are not looking to pursue him. So I know that there's some talk about possible collusion out there. I think that is at least it's interesting. I don't know how much I believe it, but QB contracts are getting out of control. So I don't know, maybe, maybe there is a conspiracy there, but the NFL would be ridiculous to try to collude over something like this after what's going on with Brian Flores and, and what happened with Colin Kaepernick. So that would just be terrible, a horrible idea. Um, but uh, beyond those other teams that I mentioned, you know, the New York Jets seem intent on going after Aaron Rodgers. Houston and Indy are in prime position to take one of the top QBs here in this class. Now, I'm not saying that I think Bryce Young or, or CJ Stroud are better quarterbacks than Lamar, but they are certainly cheaper. And neither one of those rosters are in a place where Lamar would put them over the top. They maybe Indy might be closer. But they still aren't really that close overall. Like Lamar is not going to take either of these teams and turn them into Super Bowl contenders right off the bat. So I don't think either of those teams are going to be interested. Las Vegas is also probably in a position to take a quarterback in this year's class. And Lamar doesn't really fit what Josh McDaniels typically likes in a quarterback. Uh, if I had to take a guess, like that seems very much like a Will Levis landing spot this year, but you know, we'll see how that ends up panning out. But if all of those teams are out, and there's uh, plenty of other teams out there that already have, you know, solid quarterbacks, who's really left? And I think that's kind of what Baltimore's gambling on a little bit here, which can't make Lamar happy. So uh, this situation and this relationship between the two even if Lamar does come back is definitely going to be something to keep an eye on you know is Lamar going to Kirk Cousins this and play on the tag and then eventually hit free agency uh, who knows hard to say it's one of the more interesting narratives we've had here in a while so I'm definitely keeping an eye on it especially as somebody who you know my family are Ravens fans my fiance is a Ravens fan so I'm keeping a pretty close eye on this situation uh, other news, though, we have um, Derek Carr signed with the Saints, $150 million over four years. It's going to take him through his age 35 season. So this, maybe he has one last contract after that, but I think this is probably his last big money contract. Uh, but I think the Saints are a good landing spot for him overall. I mean, you know, we'll have to see what the situation is with Kamara uh, and what that le how that legal situation plays out. But they have a, a solid wide receiver, a budding wide receiver there in, in Chris Olave. Uh, they have a couple other guys on the outside. You know, they have some interesting options, Jawan Johnson and Taysom Hill, a tight end. Um, so they they have a couple guys there. They could definitely still use another wide receiver with, with Michael Thomas being a free agent as well. But, you know, Derek Carr, I think, elevates the floor here for these guys and just provides some nice, stable play, especially for Alave. You know, if you were worried about Alave at all, I think this is uh, this is wheels up for him. Uh, next, Daniel Jones uh, re-signed with the Giants, $160 million over four years. That's going to take him to his age 29 season. So he's probably got another contract there under his belt. And, you know, I think, at this time last year, it would have been pretty surprising that Daniel Jones got a deal bigger than Derek Carr. Um, you know, I know he's younger, but still a bigger deal than Derek Carr. And I think that just goes to show you uh, the 
the, the job that Brian Dayball has done. Um, you know, he, and I'm sure Matt is going to correct me. I probably pronounced uh, Brian Dayball's name wrong, but I don't care. Um, but he's a, he's a QB whisperer. He did a lot of work with Josh Allen and now he's doing it with Daniel Jones and Daniel Jones was a good quarterback for fantasy this past year. And I think this really stabilizes his fantasy value as well. So if you have Daniel Jones, you know, a year, year and a half ago, you were probably worried. Now you're probably feeling pretty good about him as your QB too. Um, next up, we have Evan Ingram, who got the franchise tag as well. He's going to make $11.3 million. So that's a, a pretty solid deal for him overall. But if he wants to be paid like one of the top guys, he's probably looking for a little bit more, which is reportedly was the case. He was looking for more, I guess, in the $14 million range from reports online. Uh, that's not that far off. But the big thing with Evan Ingram has is, is always been health. I mean, he had a fantastic year this year. Uh, and being tied to Trevor Lawrence would be great for him. He would you know, now fill into the back half of the top 10 in tight at the tight end position for fantasy purposes if he goes back there for another year. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can actually get a long-term deal done here. And, and he's got to stay healthy again, like I was saying. But I think overall, this is a good move for Evan Ingram. Uh, it's, it's good to stay there in that situation, uh, especially with Doug Peterson, who has done well with tight ends. Like, that's one of the reasons why I was on Evan Ingram th- going into this year. So uh, wheels up there for Evan Ingram as long as he can get a long-term deal signed. And then lastly, we have three running backs who got the franchise tag here. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a common theme with all of these running backs, which I'll get to at the end of it here. But Saquon Barkley first up, uh, tagged by the New York Giants. He's going to make $10 million, this just over $10 million this year on the tag. And he had a really nice bounce back year. I mean, he's he was a stud. Uh, he was a high-end prospect. He came out of the and set the league on fire right off the bat, but dealt with some injuries there. And he had a really nice bounce back this past year, 295 carries, 1,300 yards. He had 57 catches too, which was really, I shouldn't say surprising because he's always been a good pass catcher, but that 57 catch is tied for the most on the Giants. So he was essentially their leading pass catcher this year. Uh, he's a, a do-it-all weapon, and with the Giants tagging or uh, re-signing Daniel Jones, it made a ton of sense for them to tag Barkley and keep him. I mean, the wide receiver market this year is pretty soft in free agency. I don't think they're really in a great position to snag one in the draft, uh, and it's also something we'll talk about a little bit later as I go over the combine review. But uh, the t- the top of this year's wide receiver class isn't uh, quite as strong as, as some other years like last year. So getting Barkley and allowing him to kind of be the focal point of the offense there, I think was a no brainer for them. So great moves this offseason for the giants so far in re-signing Jones to a decent deal and, and, uh, and tagging Barkley and, and hopefully working out a long-term deal. I mean, he is, he's going to be 26 entering this year, but you know, he's, he's such a stud that he's the type of guy Injuries aside, I think his game will at least age fairly well, and, and he'll be able to play for another couple of years. You know, that two to three year window, that's kind of what we look for. Uh, next up, Tony Pollard tagged by the Cowboys. He, again, running back, so he's also going to make $10 million this year, and he had a breakout year. 
a thousand yards rushing, nine touchdowns, you had thirteen hundred seventy-eight scrimmage yards, twelve touchdowns, thirty-nine catches. So very versatile weapon. Zeke's getting a little bit older as well, um, you know. And the Cowboys are going to have an out in his contract here coming up. So Tony Pollard, if he signs a, a long-term deal, maybe ends up being the guy there. But I don't know if he can actually handle a full workload. I mean, guys. Guys his size with that skill set don't often handle the big, a big workload like that. I mean, you do see guys who who can do it and do it effectively, like an Austin Eckler and uh, you know, a Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I'll just I'll be I think Tony Pollard's value is nearing its peak. So maybe I'm not necessarily looking to sell him, but if I get a good offer, I'm definitely willing to move him. And then last up, Josh Jacobs was tagged by the Raiders, who also let Derek Carr walk. So Josh Jacobs might be is probably going to be the focal point of that offense here this year. Uh, again, running back, so he's also going to get ten million on the on the tag this year, assuming they don't work out a long term deal. But he actually led the league in rushing this past year with sixteen hundred fifty three yards, led the league in scrimmage yards as well with two thousand and fifty three. And he's had three straight seasons over a thousand yards rushing. So he's been very consistent as well. And he's also a good pass catcher. Last year, 53 catches. The year before that, 53 catches. So you know, he is is the type of guy that can be a focal point of this offense. And I think he has to, now that we know he's staying in Las Vegas, uh, I think he's got to climb up the the dynasty ranks a little bit here, at least for me. Uh, I'm gonna move him up further. I'm gonna you know, I just did in an episode not that long ago talking about my my rankings here, my my updates. And, and you know, Jacobs was one of the guys we weren't totally sure how that was going to look. Um, but I have I've moved him up now and he is uh, he's sitting there as my RB 12 sitting there right there with Travis Etienne. Maybe I move him ahead of ETN. I'm not entirely sure yet. Uh, I'm still kind of tweaking some things here, but he's he's no he's an RB one. Um, and actually, you know what? Yeah. As I'm talking about it, there he goes. Boom. Moving him above ETN. There he goes. So, uh, now, you know, he's going to be a, a fringe fringe top 10 running back there. And he's not that old either. Uh, my biggest concern is how effective that offense is going to be with a rookie quarterback. I, it seems like that's kind of the route that they're going, you know, we'll see if maybe they're in play for a guy like Jimmy G or not, but I don't necessarily know how effective that uh, offense is going to be with a rookie quarterback. So while I, I'm definitely in on Josh Jacobs and I do think he's, you know, fringe top 10 running back. Um, if you have somebody who values him even higher than that is maybe, you know, closer, like a top five guy, I wouldn't be against moving him. I'm not, again, another guy I'm not actively looking to move, but if the right offer comes around, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely considering it. All right. Well, that's going to do it for NFL news here for us. And we'll move into the combine review. And I did a combine preview show last week. And, you know, that I think was a big testament to our athletic comparison tool over at the at the campuscan.com website for us. Uh, you know, we we had some some pretty big hits. Um, Anthony Richardson, not that anybody was saying he wasn't a great athlete, but he was a, a perfect uh, 100th percentile athlete in our database and he has a perfect RAS score, relative athleticism score as well. 
uh, most athletic quarterback of all time in that database. So he, you know, very clearly elite athlete. We also had hits on guys like, you know, Trey Palmer, Jaden Reed were two guys that I highlighted last week as guys who I thought were going to outperform expectations. Kenny McIntosh and Jordan Addison were two guys I thought might underperform expectations. So I, I think that our, our athletic comparison tool over there did uh it was a good year for year one for that. We'll see. We'll have to see how that, that tweaks going forward and, and you know, what uh, that looks like next year at this time, but strong year one from that. Uh, looking at it, the combine performances, uh, the, you know, the top performers are, are pretty obvious. You, know, you look at Anthony Richardson, the guy was a 443, 40, a 1.53 10-yard split, has a 40 and a half inch vert. Like I said, a perfect 10 on the on the uh, relative athletic score. Just an absolute freak of an athlete. And, and we knew that going in. So that shouldn't be overly surprising here that he was one of the top performers. So, you know, anybody out there who's kind of overreacting to Anthony Richardson's performance, you know, that's that's double counting it. We knew he was an amazing athlete, but still always nice to confirm it. Uh, another top performer there was was Trey Palmer. Like I said, you know, a guy that I thought was going to overperform expectations and he overperformed my expectations a four three three forty fastest wide receiver in this draft class uh 1.5 10 yards split yeah i was i would not have pegged that going in um you know i thought he was a good athlete for sure you know i thought he was fast i did not think he was sub four four fast i thought he was more in that you know like maybe a four four five ish range like a high four four like four four eight somewhere in that range which would have been very good um you know, and and he's he's also I think pretty quick. You know, I didn't see any you know agility testing numbers for him there. But uh, Palmer, good athlete, and I think that this performance from Palmer, he was kind of a fringe day two guy for me before. You know, kind of like a back end of round three, early round four type of a guy. And I think this performance is going to put him squarely in day two. You know, that often the fastest wide receiver in the draft class gets day two draft capital, whether they're actually good or not. You know, look at guys like Anthony Schwartz, um, you know, Tyquan Thornton. You know, those guys, fastest wide receivers, they got day two draft capital. I think Trey Palmer is actually a pretty good wide receiver. You know, he has he has some concerns for sure, but he's definitely he's versatile. He has inside outside versatility. You can use him on jet sweeps. They used that last year. Uh, he's very physical as well as a wide receiver. Um, you know, so I, I like a lot of Trey Palmer's game. He definitely has some things he needs to clean up here, but uh, definitely a stock up for Trey Palmer. And that's a guy that I was really high on, uh, you know, last year coming into the college football season last year. So for me to have him as a stock up, you know, I think that was a pretty impressive performance for him. Uh, this is a situation too with Palmer where we can count this combine performance a little bit extra. You know, we were not expecting a 4-4-3. So obviously got to go back to the tape a little bit and kind of see, you know, maybe there's something we missed with that speed. I, I don't think so. But this, this, I think anything you watch on him would still been surprising. But Trey Palmer, this in this situation, you can count this as, as, a, as a bump for him after a combine performance like this. And then the last top performer that we'll highlight here, Zach Kuntz, the tight end out of Old Dominion. Another guy that, you know, we talked about last week, said he was going to be a good athlete. Um, he was going to perform well, especially in the vertical jump, 40-inch vertical jump. He's 
he was on the uh, freak list, uh, Bruce Feldman's freak list in college entering this year. Um, and, and, you know, rightfully so. He's, he's six foot seven, 255 pounds as a 40 inch vert like this, ran a four, five, five, 40 and a 6.873 cone at that size. That is really impressive. A perfect 10 uh, relative athletic score as well. So Zach Kuntz, not only did he perform well, he absolutely crushed the combine. And I think at, at a guy that size and that athletic, definitely going to get drafted. I think he's probably solidified himself as, as a day two pick, um, just given, again, that size and athleticism. Also, he had a pretty good recruiting pedigree as well. He started out at Penn State before transferring over to Old Dominion. Uh, I, the only thing I'll caution with him is he's this the the agility the 6.873 cone didn't necessarily show up on tape um but i I think he will still be a good red zone threat so he's going to be one of those tight ends for fantasy purposes where you know you'll start him and you're not going to feel you're going to have him on your roster and maybe you have to start him and you're not going to feel great about it but it'll be touchdown dependent and you know he'll have some nice weeks for you so definitely a guy that uh people hadn't been talking about before and they, you know, maybe they should have been. Uh, moving into biggest surprises from the combine here, uh, you know, for for me, Jackson Smith and Jigba was a guy that I predicted would not have a great performance, and it was mostly predicated on the forty, because a lot of the performance expectations are kind of centered around the forty. And the big question with JSN is his. One, athleticism, but two, mostly his 40, his long speed. Uh, so no 40-yard dash, which actually I think was smart for him. I think he made himself some money coming out of this combine here because uh, he had the fastest three-cone time, a 6.57. That's it's insanely fast. He also had the fastest 20-yard shuttle at a 3.93. He had a 35-inch vert, which is very solid, a 10 and a half inch broad jump or 10 foot uh five inch broad jump which is very good too uh it's six foot one 196 pounds so that's a good size to weigh in at uh 9.39 relative athletic score which is way better than what i would have expected and i think he's you know we'll talk about that in, in the takeaway section here but i think jsn made himself some money with this performance and you know it was one that I knew agility was going to be where he where he kind of shined. I wasn't expecting him to be the fastest and the most agile wide receiver there, um, but definitely a nice performance out of him. Uh, another surprise was um, Keishon Boutte, the other wide receiver in this draft class that, you know, heading into last college football season, it was JSN, it was Keishon Boutte, one and two. Uh, and now Keishon Boutte has definitely fallen from grace. He clocks a four five forty, which is not bad uh, by any means, but it is it's not good. You know, it's not as fast as what I would have thought, especially if you, you know, watch his his tape, you know, from his freshman, his sophomore year. I would have thought he was, you know, in the mid four four range. A twenty nine inch vert and a nine foot ten inch broad jump, though, neither of those are good. Uh, the 29 inch vert is very bad. Uh, and, you know, and the, the, I think the jumps, the scores from his jumps show a lack of explosion that doesn't really show up on tape. Again, if you're looking at his freshman and sophomore year, I thought he was very explosive as an athlete. So that injury that he sustained at the end of his sophomore year, I know a lot of people have kind of, you know, talked about it, speculated on it. 
I am more in the camp now that there's a good chance that that was an Achilles injury. And that just takes a while to come back from if receivers ever do come back from it. So I, I think that this is definitely concerning. Now, I still think he has a one of the highest ceilings in, of the wide receivers in this draft class, just because of what he showed in, in his first year and a half in college pre-injury. So if he can get back to that level, I, I, I think he's a wide receiver one in the NFL. If he can't, he might struggle for for fantasy relevancy. I mean, I think he's still the type of wide receiver who's going to stick around on an NFL roster for a while. But if he can't get back to pre-injury form, that ceiling is just not there anymore. So I was kind of surprised that he was as poor, had as poor of a performance as what he did. But if it was an Achilles injury that he had, maybe that makes a little bit more sense. Uh, and then the last big surprise from the combine is Daneric Prince, the running back from Tulsa, by the way, not Mississippi, which if you look it up on the uh, relative athletic score, and I saw a couple other places floating around on Twitter, uh, it said Mississippi. He's not from Mississippi. He's from Tulsa. Uh, he originally was actually at Texas A&M before transferring to Tulsa. So neither one of those, neither one of those is, is right. It's Tulsa. Um, but Daneric Prince measured in 5'11", 216 pounds, so good size, definitely a good size. Runs a 4'4", 140, uh, blazing fast, a, a 1.53, 10-yard split, 35.5-inch vert, 10-foot, 4-inch broad jump, a 9.83 relative athletic score. So he blew up this combine, and it's a guy that nobody – was talking about before the combine. I ran through a lot of names last week and he was not one of them. So this is a pretty much out of nowhere comparison. But again, to, to you know talk about our athletic comparison tool that we have over at the website, maybe it shouldn't have been out of nowhere. Uh, maybe it's just because we weren't looking at him. His athletic score over on our athletic comparison tool is 94th percentile. So 0.94. Uh, that's a very, very good athlete. Um, his top comparisons are Bernard Pierce, the running back who's at Baltimore for a while, uh, Jarius Norwood running back who was in Atlanta for a while. And then Zach Charbonnet. So all guys who are, who are pretty solid athletes there. So it does make sense. Uh, again, just a guy that we weren't really looking at before. And I'm, I'm going to have to go back, maybe watch the tape a little bit, but I do want to caution everybody. This is, this is a prime example of not getting carried away by the combine. Um, Daneric Prince, he couldn't really, he had to transfer to Tulsa. He's never played more than 10 games in his career. If you remove his freshman year where he only had the one game that he played in at Texas A&M, he has 66.4 yards per game. He only has 17 career catches total. It's a fifth-year guy. And his breakaway rush rate. So, you know, when you have a speed of a 4-4-1, you're expecting a guy to have a pretty high breakaway rush rate. When you're that fast, you know, you expect to be able to have a lot of breakaway runs. He was below the trend line for running backs in every single year except for last year. Um, last year, he had a breakaway rush rate of um, just over 10%. So it's we're not really seeing a lot of this uh, play out, at least statistically, Again, you know, I, I, I did not watch him, um, so I, I do need to go back and take a look here. But I'm going to caution everybody, and it, I haven't seen too many people hyping him up 
post uh, combine is this you know big sleeper or anything. So let's hope that that continues because I, I am color me skeptical here. Like I said, this is a reason. This is a prime example of a guy not to uh, overhype a combine performance. Although this maybe puts him in, in draftable range for the NFL, maybe like a sixth, seventh round guy, as opposed to before where I think he was a UDFA, probably a USFL, XFL type of guy. Uh, all right, so we'll move into the my my biggest takeaways from the combine here. So outside of of these athletic performances, yeah, you know, that we talked about before, uh, these are the things that I think are the points we should take away from this combine. Uh, the first one is Anthony Richardson. You know, like I said, we knew he was an explosive athlete. We knew he was a, a top tier freak of an athlete. So don't double count that. But what I do think matters coming away from this is I think this has, this mean this performance, I think this freaky performance means Anthony Richardson secured top 15 NFL draft capital. I'll be pretty surprised at this point if he falls outside the top 15, especially given the team, all the teams at the top that that do need a quarterback. You know, we're talking Houston and Indy, Carolina, Las Vegas, uh, even Atlanta could potentially use one, although I don't necessarily expect them to go in that route. Um, there's a number of other teams up there that, you know, potentially could go with a quarterback uh, Detroit, maybe even. So I think there's enough teams at the top where Anthony Richardson has secured himself top 15 draft capital. And it, now that he has secured himself top 15 draft capital. And I, before that, uh, you know, we did a lot of mock drafts at the website um, we've been doing them, you know, kind of pumping them out like, well, yeah, once a week, once every other week. Uh, he, Anthony Richardson typically tended to be in the back half of the first. There was even one where he, I think we went in the very early second. And, you, you know, you saw that trend kind of happen with a lot of mock drafts where he was, you know, a later first round type of a guy. Now that we know he's going top 15 here. Well, now that we assume he's going to go top 15 here, I'm will, much more willing to move him up my fantasy rankings. You know, before this, he was hanging out at, uh, you know, 13, 14, right back just outside of the first round for rookie drafts for me. And the big thing with that is he still has a lot of development to go. And this combine performance does not change that. He was still a sub 60% completion percentage every single year. He, as a quarterback, is not accurate, especially on the move. Uh, when he's throwing off platform, he does not look good. He can he can zip it all over the yard from any any angle. Uh, you know, off platform, one foot, any arm angle. He's got the arm strength to throw that all over the yard. So that's not the concern with Anthony Richardson. The strength, the the concern is the accuracy off platform. It suffers. So. I don't know if what the answer is to to that other than actually keeping him in the pocket, because I think Anthony Richardson, when he throws from a set base, his accuracy is not bad. But I think that, like I said, the takeaway here is this is going to mean that an NFL franchise, if you're taking him in the top 15, is you're going to be building your offense around him if you're a franchise worth your salt. And if they're building their offense around him and ask and just simplifying some things, you know, running some, some read option and some RPOs and some things that have trends that have, you know, kind of offensive trends that have faded in and out and come back around. And, um, 
you know, have some success. If you, if you have Anthony Richardson running one of those types of offenses and you let him do what he does best, he can be a very good quarterback, you know? And then if we see some development, like we have seen with some other guys, you know, I'm not calling him Josh Allen, but we've seen Josh Allen develop. I'm not calling him Jalen hurts, but we've seen Josh or Jalen hurts make improvements in the league. So there are examples of, of this happening. Uh, so it's definitely not outside the realm of possibility. And, and I just, I'm starting to feel a little bit more comfortable with that. So I have moved Anthony Richardson up in my rankings and he's now hanging out at six. He's probably going to hang out around the six, seven range for me. He's still my QB three. He has not jumped Stroud. He has not jumped young. I always thought he was better than Levis. I'm not the biggest Levis, Levis truther out there. Um, so he's still as a quarterback prospect pretty much right where he was, but we've seen some other performances at the combine and, and some other things where I haven't really shuffled positional rankings, but when we're looking at the interpositional rankings, I have moved a couple guys up and down and Anthony Richardson was one of the guys that climbed up. Um, next big takeaway I had JSN locks up the wide receiver one. You know, I think he was, he was my wide receiver one. I had Keishon Boutte battling with him for a little while. And then as we've gotten more information on Boutte and after that performance this past season, Boutte has dropped. Dayson was my wide receiver one. I think that's should be pretty much everybody across the board. If somebody has other, if somebody has someone other than JSN as their wide receiver one, I would question that. Um, and I think the NFL is going to view JSN as a wide receiver one as well. He answered some questions about his athleticism and, and his recovery. You know, he missed this whole past year pretty much with an injury. He's now very clearly healthy. You know, the, the 40 is going to be interesting to see, you know, I'm assuming he's going to run it at his pro day and, you know, pro day 40s aren't, aren't as bad as they used to be, but there's the numbers are still a little bit more favorable. Um, so we'll see what he ends up running, but I, I don't see a scenario where there's another wide receiver that goes ahead of JSN at this point. Uh, and then, you know, sticking at the wide receiver position, Keishon Boutte, like I said, man, he might not be recovered from that injury still, you know, that, that performance was was not good, and it's not what you would expect if you watched Keishon Boutte early on in his career at LSU. So I think that's going to that's gonna have him tumble down some draft boards here. I think that's going to have some people concerned. I know I've seen some people say that they think he's going to get outside day day two now. I still don't see that happening. You don't, you're not that good of a wide receiver. Your first, you know, right off the jump, your first year and a half in college at, at LSU, in, a, in the SEC, in a big-time way. And you don't go from that to just completely out of the out of the day two conversations. But I think he's probably more like a round three guy now, um, maybe late round two as a best case scenario. Where before, you know, I I had seen some people mocking him at the end of the first, and I didn't think that was crazy. You know, more likely in the early part of the second. So, uh, Keishon Boutte, a little bit of a stock down here from that for sure. But with the wide receiver position as a whole. I think this is a deep wide receiver class, but it is not top heavy. Yeah, I think JSN, some people say he's only a slot. I think he's a little more versatile than that, but I think his best position is in the slot, um, which you know may potentially limit him a little bit from an NFL perspective, but from a fantasy, fantasy perspective, we don't care. But the rest of this wide receiver group definitely has some question marks. Um, you know, I, I think that JSN and uh Quentin Johnston are guys who can be wide receiver ones in the NFL. 
I still like Jordan Addison. I, I'm not that worried about his performance, honestly. The weight worries me a little bit, but that just kind of puts him even more in that Devonta Smith bucket. Uh, I, I think that his, you know, Jordan Addison ran a 4.49.40, and Devonta Smith ran a 4.48. So I'm not overly worried about Addison. I still think he can be a fringe wide receiver one for a team, more likely like a 1B. Uh, and I think he can be a good receiver for you for fantasy, you know, maybe like a back end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two for fantasy purposes. Uh, Keishon Butte, a guy not really totally sure what to do with yet. I, I'm, I'm moving him down for sure, given the injury and the way he's looked. I may even move him down a little bit further when it's all said and done. But the rest of this wide receivers, uh, I think there's a lot of guys that are going to be long term NFL wide receiver twos and threes. And guys who could be wide receiver twos, threes for fantasy purposes as well, especially depending on the situation where they end up. Um, so I'll, I'll run through a couple of these guys here. You know, Zay Flowers measured in 5'9", 182, ran a 4'4", 240, 35 and a half inch vert. He did well at the combine. Um, and, but 5'9", 182. I'm not really sure that that's a profile that says a wide receiver one. So like I'm saying it's, that's another guy was like a wide receiver two in the NFL on an NFL team. Um, Josh Downs, very, very similar boat. Five, nine, one seventy one ran a four, four, eight, 40. Uh, he had a 38 and a half inch vert. So, you know, blew up the vertical jump there, but again, same kind of a thing where I think he's a, a wide receiver two for an NFL team. Uh, neither one of these guys profile as a, as a guy that you are going to funnel your offense through. You know, I'm not even talking about a guy like uh, Cedric Tillman, you know, 6'3", 213, ran a 4'5", 1, or a 4'5", 4, I mean, um, a 37-inch vert. Like, that's more of like a profile of an alpha wide receiver um, and a wide receiver one. I'm not even talking about that with Downs and, and Flowers, the, the size. Like, I just mean I don't think their skill set moves towards a guy who is someone you funnel your offense through, like a – like a Keenan Allen even, or a, uh, or a Cooper cup. Like, I just don't think these guys are in that. I, I don't think they have that type of a skill. I don't think they're in that mold, but that doesn't mean they're bad, you know, and then moving into Cedric Tillman, I think kind of along the same lines, I think he's more, you know, in that Mike Williams bucket where he's a, a really nice complimentary outside wide receiver. And he, you know, he's going to play the X, but he's again, not a guy you're going to funnel your offense through, um, you know, he'll, he'll, so uh, a guy that it'll be good again, wide receiver two, three for, for fantasy purposes and, and probably for an NFL team too. Um, Jalen Hyatt, same bucket, six foot, 176, a four, four forty, which actually was, you know, a little bit disappointing given that everybody was thought he was going to run in like the mid four threes um, blew up the vertical jump though. And the jumps 40 inch vert, 11 foot, three inch broad jump. It's absolutely killed that, but he's a one trick pony. Again, not a not a wide receiver one for an NFL team. Rasheed Rice, I think in the same boat as well. Six foot one, 204 pounds, a four five one, uh 40, 40 inch vert, killed the jumps as well. But I think he's got a lot to do with his route tree. He's got a lot he needs to clean up. So I don't see him as a wide receiver one for a team either. Uh Marvin Mims, 5'10, 183. Ran a four three eight forty, which you know I, I thought he was going to underperform. He was a guy I thought would be an underperformer last week, or you know maybe not underperform, but not blow up the combine. Uh, but he did. You now four three eight forty, a thirty nine and a half inch vert, a six point nine three cone. So you know good performance. A little bit of a weird skill set. 
you know, kind of a slot guy, mostly field stretcher type of a guy, jump ball wide receiver, not a guy you're going to funnel your offense through. So a good wide receiver and a guy who can be productive for fantasy purposes, especially in the right system, but not a high end guy. Um, and then you're looking at Jaden Reed and, and Trey Palmer, two guys I mentioned before. Uh, Jaden Reed ran a four five uh, four four five forty at five eleven one eighty seven, and I think he's probably closer to a to the Downs and Flowers of the world than what a lot of people are putting him as. And I expect him to be a guy who starts to gain some hype uh, post uh, post combine here, leading up to the draft, um, gain some hype in, in NFL. Uh, dynasty circles not not in actual nfl draft circles but in in fantasy circles um and then you got uh parker washington at 510 204 he did not test at all but i still think he's a guy who's going to be a nice complimentary piece in the nfl um tank dell as well a slot guy only 58 165 uh 44840 which is a little bit disappointing um, did pretty well in the 10 yard split and the jump. So, you know, a guy that I think is going to have a long-term career as a slot and, and can be productive, especially in the right offense. Um, Rakeem Jarrett as the last one here, I'll go over. Um, he ran five, he measured into five eleven, one ninety two, 192. So good size. Ran a four, four, four 40, 35 and a half inch vert. He had a good RAS score. Uh, a guy that I think people are sleeping on a little bit as well. Um, probably not a guy that is going to be a wide receiver one either, especially cause he couldn't even do it on his own team at Maryland really, but a guy that I think will be a nice complimentary piece. So all of these guys that I mentioned here, there was not a single bad RAS score out of this bunch. These are all like athletic guys. They're all guys that have skill sets that I think are going to make them long-term wide receivers in the NFL, even if they're not studs. These are going to be guys that you hang out at the bottom of your bench. You put them in as flex options, especially depending on where they end up in, in the NFL. They could end up in a really nice offense uh, and an offense that needs a wide receiver and, and maybe they get a little bit more volume. Um, but they're, they're guys that I, I want. I want all of these guys on my roster for fantasy. You know, they're not the they're not the guys who are going to just absolutely tear it up and, and start for you week in and week out. But I think there's a couple of guys on this list that could potentially even develop into weekly flex guys. You know, um, we see wide receivers develop in the NFL all the time. It used to be that you give guys, I remember it, it used the rule of thumb used to be, you know, you wanted year three breakouts. That's what you wanted. Um, the, the freshmen that are the rookies that broke out like uh, Mike Evans or um, Odell Beckham, like those were rare. You know, that, that, that 2014 draft class really spoiled it and kind of pushed the, the envelope a little bit more towards rookie breakouts. And, you know, I think that's, that's a good thing, but we also need to be cognizant that wide receivers do develop over time and if year three breakouts are, are still a thing. So I think guys on this list are guys that I'll be looking at for, you know, hang around. They, they do okay. Their first two years, and maybe there's a year three breakout. That's like what this list is. Uh, and I, so that's why I say I think the wide receiver position is deep this year. Not top heavy, but deep. Uh, two more takeaways here. Um, first one, don't forget about Michael Mayer, the tight end out of Notre Dame. You know, everybody wants to hype up a lot of these other tight ends, you know, Darnell Washington, because he's 
big and he's an athlete. He's an athletic guy, you know, Dalton Kincaid, also athletic, had a ton of catches at Utah. A lot of people were hyping him up. Duke Musgrave, I've seen people hype him up as well. You know, and I think most people for the most part, or at least people that, you know, I see talking about and people that I trust do still have Michael Mayer as their tight end one. I'm just saying, don't forget about him. He is a lot better than what people think. You know, freshman year at Notre Dame, 42 catches for 450 yards as a freshman. Then his next two years, sophomore and junior year, over 65 catches, over 800 yards, and over seven touchdowns in both years. He is significantly better in analytics than any other first-round tight end in the last 15 years. You go all the way back to Greg Olson, and he is significantly better. Receiving yards per team pass attempt, he blows everybody else out of the water. It's not even close. You know, Eric Ebron, his junior year is the only season. And, and you know, I'm I'm talking, I added all of the all of the first round tight ends going back like 15 years. Um, going back as far as I possibly could. Uh, all of those guys, all of them. And Eric Ebron's junior year is the only one that even beats Mayer's sophomore year. And it was barely, it was barely beat it. It was 2.1 to uh, 2.18 to like 2.108 or 2.08, you know? So it, they were very, very close. Mayer's junior season was a 2.38, blew that one out of the water. So he's significantly better in analytics than any other tight end. Productive at Notre Dame as a wide receiver. He functioned, or as a tight end, he functioned as their wide receiver one. He knows how to block because he came from Notre Dame. He could play in line. And athleticism was probably his biggest question. You know, most people were saying, oh, he's not an athletic freak, but he's more in that Zach Ertz uh, type of a mold. And, you know, going to the combine, he had a good RAS score. He had an 8.08. That was green. So that's a great score. Uh, there hasn't been an elite tight end with an RAS score under eight, an elite fantasy tight end with an RAS score under eight. I saw that on Twitter somewhere, so I apologize for the person that I'm forgetting to to quote on this. It was probably Ken Lee Platt, who is the creator of the RAS score. Um, but uh, Michael Mayer had a really nice combine. He ran a 4740 at, you know, at, at six foot four, 250 pounds, 256 pounds. Um, big guy. So if 4740 is, is good. A 1.66 10-yard split, also good. 32.5-inch vert, 9-foot, 10-inch broad jump, also good. Good scores, just not going to blow it out of the water, but very solid athletic scores. Giving him, or answering his biggest question was the athleticism. So I think Michael Mayer coming out of this combine is a guy that, again, just don't forget about him. He has actually moved up my rankings a little bit. Um, it just, you know, tight end one, he was always my tight end one, but he's moved up. He's now my, my wider or my, uh, 13th ranked player in the class. So I am looking at taking him in very early in the second, you know, maybe even back half of the back half of the first there, especially if it's a tight end premium or any extra, you know, premiums on tight ends there. Um, uh, Michael Mayer, I think is a very, very solid prospect and we should talk about him more than what we are. And my last point, my last takeaway, uh, the running backs are all cowards. Well, not all of them, but most of them are all are cowards. Uh, Israel Abanaconda, Kendry Miller, Zach Evans, Sean Tucker, Tajay Spears, Deuce Vaughn. None of these guys ran or did any agility drills. 
Tajay Spears, he jumped. But that's it. That's it. He's the only guy that we did this, that, that did that. All these guys presumably waiting for their pro days. But like, come on, guys. Like, you just show up, you weigh, that's it. Like We wanted to see these guys. You know, Bijan killed it. Jameer Gibbs killed it. Zach, Zach Charbonnet killed it. Zach Charbonnet moves up. Uh, you know, he's moving up a lot of people's boards. He's most people's RBs three right now. You know, I'm still in the Zach. I'm still a Zach Evans believer, but you know, Zach Charbonnet is knocking on the door there. Even, even Devin Ache, you know, weighed in at 188, which not good. Definitely concerning. Would have liked to see him over 190. I think if he could have weighed in at like 190 to 193, uh, he would move up as well. But you know, at least these guys are, are testing and they're running and they're doing these drills. Like, Come on, guys. Uh, It's kind of making the combine like, I don't want to say pointless because there's definitely a points to it here, but with everybody waiting to run at their pro days, it's it's harder to, again, those those are favorable situations. So it's harder to put quite as much stock in that as, as what, uh, as what we do with the combine. You know, that's a neutral playing field for everybody. Everybody's running on the same track, you know? At Pitt's Pro Day, that the track at Pitt's Pro Day might be different than the track at uh, Ole Miss's Pro Day for Zach Evans. So, the variability there is annoying. Stop being cowards. Just, just run. Just do the drills. Um, all right, that is going to do it for us here tonight. Uh, appreciate you guys bearing with me here, rocking through another solo show. Uh, I, you know, I, I promise we're we're still working on Austin's suspension. We're still reviewing whether we want to keep him or not. Um, But you guys have been very supportive. The numbers have been way up. So show Austin that, that we don't need him, you know, you know, kick, let's, let's get him out of here. It's strengthen the reason to, to kick him out of, of campus to Canton group. Uh, Keep downloading it. So that way we can show him that this is better off without him. Uh, But that's going to do it for me here tonight. I will be back again on Monday with an episode of or Tuesday with an episode of uh, campus life. Uh, we'll be talking about trades. Uh, I know everybody always talks about how to do trades, So we'll be continuing that campus uh, campus, the Canton strategy series. We're going to be talking about how to do some trades. So not going to want to miss that one. That's going to be a good one. But that's going to do it for me here tonight. Uh, as always, I'm Colin and have a good one.